Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. We've had 35 resurrections of the dead. The closer they are to freshly dead, the easier they are to resurrect. So I see this giant angel and I asked him his name. It's a financial company. And I realized this angel is here for our finances. And that's a true literal story, by the way. These people are charlatans. And it's about time we draw a line in the sand and stop fraternizing with the wolves. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. If only the PGA were like our government. This is Wretched Radio. Don't know if you had the chance to go to the FedEx Cup on Saturday. It is the golf tournament that is the culmination of the golf season where the winner brings home a paltry $18 million for that tournament. In second place, poor guy, only gets $6.25 million and it goes down from there. And everybody was talking about the disparity between first place and second place. So I got to thinking, because sometimes it happens, hey, if only the PGA were like our government, what they should have done so that Rory McIlroy didn't take home the big purse and poor Scotty Scheffler had to take something that's three times less. They should have taken some of Rory's birdies and applied them to Scott Scheffler's bogeys. And then I kept thinking, because, well, sometimes I'll have a sustained thought. We should just, we should do this with everybody until it's all equal. And that way they get the same prize, no matter how they performed, everybody gets the same. Let's talk about student loans, shall we? <laughs> What's the problem with the government with the stroke of a pen saying your debt is forgiven? Now, there are some Christians who would say, tis tisk to you, conservative evangelical. You should be thrilled about loan forgiveness because, hey, haven't you been forgiven much? Um Yes, but there's a difference between sin and loans. <laughs> and Jesus died for my sins, not my payments of an agreement that I signed with the federal government. Here's one of those memes. If you're a Christian and you're big mad about the possibility of student loan debt being canceled, big mad, Jimmy, big that mu- mad. That must mean like, yep. really mad. Well, which is it's better than huge sad and <laughs> massive glad. If you're a Christian and you're big mad about the possibility of student loan debt being canceled, let me remind you that the entirety of your faith is built upon a debt you couldn't pay that someone stepped in and paid for you. That is correct. That is that is what my hope is built on. But that has nothing to do with loans. (laughs) The Bible speaks about this subject regularly. So while falling short of big mad, what is the problem with the government saying, hey, that money you owed for education, it's a goner. I think there are a lot of problems. And I think there's even one problem from those of us who are going, wait a second, um, that isn't fair, which is the first problem. This is a fairness issue. You wouldn't take birdies away from one golfer to apply it to the bogeys of another. That that would be considered ridiculous. The same thing would go with students in school. Oh, you got a 98 on the test. He only got a 74. We're going to take yours and apply it to that. Look, 
now they passed. <laughs> Which, by the way, 74 used to be, that was a D, I think. 74 that, was a D. I, I can tell you that for sure because that was my average. I, th- <laughs> <laughs> I think now it's about an, an A minus, something like that. At any rate, you wouldn't take some points away from a student. You wouldn't take some shots away from a golfer to apply them to others and say, that's fair, which I don't know if you caught this. The irony of it is it's so wretched, if I might use that word. They're calling it fairness forgiveness. Um, Fair to whom exactly? There are a lot of people who paid off their debt. What about fairness to them? There are a lot of people who worked really hard to make sure that their kids didn't have debt when they graduated. What about fairness to them? Not big mad. I'm sure there's a lot of people rejoicing right now that student loans are going to be, at least in part, taken care of. But it's just, it's not fair. The other thing about it that I think we all recognize. And the reason that we are not big mad, but a bit consternated, which is different than big mad. I think we look at it and we go, oh, there it is. Government expansion. There it is. Paying for everything. What's next? Automobile fairness, healthcare fairness. What else are you going to give away? Government And we see it for what it is, because that certainly is a step in that direction, which really does raise a question. And I think this might actually be a point that some of us need to consider when it comes to to student loan forgiveness. The question is, why is it that we as a society have the government pay for K through 12 but not postgraduate work. Why, why don't, what, what principle do we use to say they should pay for this, but not for that? Because initially, the consideration was it's better for a society that its people are educated. Therefore, we will make sure that everybody is, that everybody gets an education, that everybody goes through this system in part to not only educate them, but to conform them into being good citizens. That's what education used to be about. And there was a bit of a societal compact that said, would it be a compact or contract? Uh, maybe maybe it'd be both of them, where we said, you know what, you're right. It, it's just better. Therefore, you can take a lot of my tax dollars and apply it to that realm so that it's better for all of us. But we stopped at 12th grade. My question is, and I don't have the answer for this, but I want to come up with one. So if you've got one, send it to idea at wretched.org. Why does it bug us that the government pays for postgraduate? If if educating somebody through 12th grade is good, isn't it even better to educate them through college, through an MBA program to get their doctorate? If indeed it is better, I think We have a bit of a struggle drawing that line, but we do see a pretty clear line of fairness, of government expansion. I think third, you could add to it. The timing of it is rather interesting, considering that there's an election coming up. So there are problems that we see with this. We recognize that a government 
that successfully uses the money given to them by the people to give to the people is in big trouble. If the government figures out a way to look great by giving you back what they took from you, well, (laughs) off to the races. It appears it started with the COVID phenomenon, and now it's continuing with postgraduate education. Question. Let's just say, let's just say, Jimmy, you are going to represent the tens and tens of people. You prepared for this? I am. Let's say the president got up and instead of yelling at us, he said, America, don't know if you've noticed this, but the education system needs help. It needs some reforming. It's bloated. It's too big. They're indoctrination centers. They're, they're, they're not being run for the sake of helping people become good citizens of this country. And so we are taking a look at the entire education system and the government's involvement in the education of your children. And I want to let you know, I've got some of them study groups or whatever they call them. We're going to go out and we're going to work on this and we're going to come up with them and we're going to get this thing fixed. Because one of the biggest problems with postgraduate education is ka And I expect my president to use words like that. ka It's super expensive. And we've got to get a handle on that. And because it has been so bloated, so expensive, and because your government has played a role in that because, well, don't know if you realize this, but all the money that's loaned comes from us so that you can pay for the schools that are run by us. We're going to forgive some of that debt because we we think that we've taken advantage of too many people. And we are going to have to work on somehow making sure that this thing is fair. I don't know that we can accomplish it, but that is going to be our actual goal so that we can reform the education system and have a better program for equipping people to launch into the world. Jimmy, how would you react to that? Um, better? Maybe. Maybe. You know, at least showing some sort of... It, well, it, we yeah. get the big picture here. Right. Absolutely. It makes a little bit more sense than than what was presented originally. You know, if he'd, Hey, we recognize the first two years of college, uh, liberal arts, it's just kind of... <laughs> I was going to say waste of time, but the president would never talk like that. So we're going to fix that too. And we're going to start emphasizing some alternatives like tech schools, apprenticeships, because there's other ways to become good citizens in our nation. Therefore, and maybe we wouldn't be quite so big mad, but that's not what happened. How do we view this? Well, if you happen to be one of those Christians who had a debt and you get to have some of it forgiven, I don't think it's a sin for you to partake of the government's foolishness. But for the rest of us, perhaps without being big mad, we can explain to people why this debt forgiveness of student loans is anything but fair. This is Wretched Radio. How's inflation been treating you if costs for health insurance are skyrocketing in your home? Would you please visit MediShare? dot com slash wretched affordable biblical health 
sharing Christians paying for other Christians medical bills, which means you don't have to worry where the money is going for mm, bad stuff. Second of all, you can save on average $500 per month. And finally, MediShare, it's the gold standard for healthcare sharing for more than 25 years. It works, and the members, including myself and Mrs. Friel, love it, which is why their customer satisfaction rate is double traditional health insurance. If inflation has got you down, call up the people at MediShare, 844-34-BIBLE or MediShare.com slash wretched. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. Here's a fun fact. Did you know Todd also hosts a daily TV program? Yep, that's right. Wretched TV is a daily 30-minute program containing live witnessing encounters, conversations about tough theological issues, and like a jillion other things. And you can find Wretched TV pretty much everywhere. It's airing on over 135 Christian TV networks. You'll also find the show on streaming services like Roku, American Gospel TV, Answers in Genesis TV, Amazon Fire TV, and as always, the very trustworthy and reliable wretched.org. This, of course, is only possible because of our gospel partners. It's through their kindness and generosity and commitment to the gospel that we're able to reach millions of people all over the world every year. And so can I ask you to please pray about partnering with us in our efforts to preach the gospel, equip the saints, and strengthen the local church. You can find out more about becoming a Wretched Gospel Partner at wretched.org slash donate. Hmm, something is happening in the Philippines. Wait, I know what it is. Jesus is building his church. Please meet Pastor Kitu Espiritu from the Master's Academy International in the Philippines. Your support allows us to fill pulpits and transform lives. Pastors are being equipped to rightly divide the truth. People in the Philippines are hearing the truth rightly preached and coming to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus is on the march in the Philippines. Souls are being saved, churches are being built, and yet there are too many empty pulpits. And that is where you come in. Would you please consider filling an empty pulpit in the Philippines so that people can hear the word rightly divided? The Masters Academy International training pastors to do just that in the Philippines and 17 other nations. To learn more, please visit wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Important dates in Christian history. 1549. Archbishop Thomas Cranmer produces the Book of Common Prayer for the Church of England. Henry VIII created the Anglican Church as a mirror of the Catholic Church, but the Book of Common Prayer helped to mold the Church of England into a Protestant church. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Not to brag or anything, but I just tied in the FedEx Cup. This is Wretched Radio. Sure. Rory made a charging comeback, but because we're fair, we took away all of his good shots, gave some of them to me, and I get some of the money. And you say, (laughs) bonkers is what that is. Ditto the student loan forgiveness, fairness, forgiveness program. But as long as we brought up the subject of university, as always, far be it from me to tell you what to do with your kids regarding education. That's up to you, mom and dad, not me. I I would say that 
boy, unless some circumstances, it was so crystal clear that it was a sin to send your kid to your particular school. I don't even know that the pastor should be involved in that conversation. There are realms of authority. Mom and dad, this is your realm. You make that call. My encouragement is, first of all, these days, we've got to be aware of what is going on in the schools. You can Google it if you want to, or you can trust the folks that have looked into it. I I don't like to, I read like one sentence of the description of the curriculum and I'm out of there. It's like, I got it. If that's what the, okay, then yikes. And there's a lot of that that is going on. And the parents are seen as the competitor for control of children. And we need to block them out. This is, it's, like a, it's like a government hip check to parents. Jimmy, that's two sporting references in one program. So this is basically Christian sport radio. It sport is. talk? Sport. Radio? <laughs> the government doesn't want your kids to have to follow your Neanderthalic. That's right. I said Neanderthalic views. They'll take over from here. Thank you very much. And we will impart to them what we think is moral, what we think is right and true and good, and it ain't. And mom and dad, you need to be aware of it. It's it's probably far, even in your good school, it's probably far worse than you can imagine. Second, I would encourage you, don't feel the pressure of the world to send your kids through the university system or frankly the high school system if you're thinking about homeschooling because that would work for your family don't bow to the peer pressure of our culture which says oh you're gonna do that do you have an education degree no but i went through high school so i'm figuring i'm ahead of the kids a little bit And maybe, just maybe, I can learn the material, too, and download it to my kids. Don't feel like you can't do it, like you shouldn't do it, like your kids are going to be dorks. Now, we have to admit, they can become dorky. they, They can be. I'm not sure that's a bad thing, by the way, because if we use the standard of a public school kid, um, then we're going to think that our kids are dweeby as we homeschool them. So don't don't even buy into that example for your kids. But you do have to work hard on the socialization business to get them into programs, to make sure they're participating in sport activities so that they're doing some team work, which was the original concept behind football. Make sure that your kids have a, a broad view of the culture and they experience and are exposed to a lot of things, not just on occasion, but regularly because you're equipping them to live in that world. And I would also encourage you to not bow to the pressure that your kid has got to go to university. The sport, the academic culture in the South, it's surprisingly big because you think, well, football, that's, that's the big thing. And it is. But where you go to school, I know it's a big deal everywhere, but it's a really big deal in the South. Where'd you, where'd your kids go? Where'd you go? Oh, Bama. Okay. I went to Clemson. Don't buy into that demand that your kid has to go through that system. There are indeed other ways to make a living as an adult. What happened to apprenticeships? What happened to the, I do see them by the way, on occasion. And do you know who is really good at the apprentice program? 
Incidentally, Jimmy, would you like to guess what demographic is really good at training up young people to do things, to fix stuff? Demographic as in age? No, demographic as in ethnic group. I don't know. Hispanic folks. Really? Oh, absolutely. I see it all the time. I, I'll see younger kids. It's clearly they're with dad and they're learning how to do stuff. They're learning how to build things, fix things for people. And they download all of the information that they've gathered. And they also impart or import a work ethic. You can make a living that way. That this is this is by the way before the the formal education system. This is typically how people learned how to survive. It was an apprenticeship. New and Ben Franklin signed on to an apprenticeship at his brother's newspaper. Now he left it, incidentally, which was like a scandalous sort of deal. But you signed on, and you were gonna you were gonna work hard for that person. But in exchange, you would get an education in that field. That can still happen. And don't think that tech schools are second class in our culture. Learning how to fix things. Learning how to make... I would be crabby right now. I can walk over to that wall and because of HVAC guys, I can turn the little knob there and I can make it cooler in here. Without them? <laughs> Martin Luther said of the milkmaid, she's glorifying God by providing food to his children. That's, that's, that's what tech school people do. They do stuff for God's children. It is a very honorable way to make a living. Don't feel like you have to buy into the mantra, you got to go to university or you're a failure. And as long as we're at the university campuses... Interesting article by a fellow who was a youth pastor for a decade. His name is Solomon, I hope I say this right, sir, Rexius. He writes, what's changed and what hasn't over 10 years of college ministry? And this happens to be like a blind knife that finds a squirrel in the shed twice a day. We've talked about somewhat regularly here. He pretty much captures a lot of the points that we've been making about how to do ministry with high school and college students. So here are the things that have changed. The apologetics emphasis. This is fascinating to me. Ten years ago, the most common apologetics questions I received from students on campus after sermons were they were theological in nature. How did we get the Bible? Should I trust the Bible? How can Jesus claim to be the only way to God? How can a kind God and a real hell coexists. Those were the questions 10 years ago. Listen to what they are now. Is Christianity oppressive to women? Does the Bible allow for racism and slavery? Where, where are they getting these questions? In the classroom. How are we supposed to think about gender and sexuality? So youth ministry has changed in that regard. Furthermore, you've got the digital connectedness, how you reach them, how you compete with the world's incessant messaging. And he also cites mental and emotional health awareness. Words like anxiety, abuse, triggers, gaslighting, and burnout are used a lot more today than they were 10 years ago. I think we've all recognized that. Now, here are the constants. And this is the information that I think is the meat that should energize us to stop 
treating the kids like dum-dums and start honoring them and respecting them and teaching them important stuff. So here's the three constants. One, now remember, this is from a college minister who was on, who's been on the campus now for the last 11 years. Hunger for biblical truth. It may surprise you to hear that expository preaching is still in style. Believing and unbelieving students alike want to interact with source documents, not just opinions, fanciful interpretations, and hot takes, which frankly are most, not all, most megachurches today. It's hot takes from I just somebody. Thank you for sending this to idea at Reggie.org. It was the opening of a church service. They were doing some game show in the lobby before you come in. Oh, was it cloying? And then the pastor gets up, and of course, he looks all stylish, and he's like 50-something. And he's talking about life hacks, and he's not, he doesn't have a Bible open, not diving into the text. People want more than that. And apparently that goes for our college and high school students too. desire for authentic community, not fiffle built on pizza and peanut butter and whipped cream. Number three, search for identity and purpose. They want to know who am I and what am I supposed to be doing with my life? Those are the questions that the kids are asking. We have the answers if we will but give them to them. Pretty tempted right now. To remind you that Road Trip to Truth, available at Wretched.org, would fit that bill quite nicely. The education system in our country, um, I think the government is biffing it. But when it comes to doing university and even high school ministry, I'm afraid, not entirely, but a lotly, the evangelical church is biffing it. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. And Wretched is the best way to define today's newscast, which starts in London, where it's being reported that just prior to Top Gun Maverick being released earlier this year, the Royal Air Force specifically requested that anyone but a white male pilot be sent to appear alongside Tom Cruise at the movie's premiere. But this isn't the only report of the Royal Air Force's disdain for white men, it's just the latest. Their top recruiter actually resigned earlier this month after she said she was asked to unlawfully discriminate against white male candidates. But when you visit the Royal Air Force's recruitment website, as I just did, they tout diversity and inclusion as their strength. We can be pretty certain that they have a different definition for what that actually means. Well, here's a fun bit of news that'll make you feel all warm and cozy. Over the weekend, a group of heavily armed Antifa members stood outside of a drag queen event in Roanoke, Texas to make sure that there weren't any disturbances to the brunch which just happened to feature a highly sexualized drag show with nudity and vulgarity in front of minors. And I'm just so thankful for the kids that they were there. Well, recently, actress Drew Barrymore posted a video on TikTok as she frolicked in the rain. Why do we care? Go out of their way to disrespect and dismiss the boundaries that black creators have set. She basically said Barrymore is a racist because she frolicked in the rain, filmed it, and posted it to TikTok. I don't think she really understands how racism works. Well, in case you missed it, the MTV Video Music Awards aired last night, and if they haven't been already, they went fully, totally woke. 
So here's a couple of highlights in case you did miss it. Dove Cameron, who's a former Disney star, of course she is, won Best New Artist. And here's her acceptance speech. This is so wild to be up here with so many artists that I worship. These are some of my all-time favorite artists. I want to dedicate this uh, to all of the queer kids out there. You know, I can say with 100% certainty, if she didn't worship the other artists she was standing on stage with and actually worshiped God, the second half of her speech there would have never been uttered. Oh, but the fun didn't stop there. Oh no. Lizzo, who's a female rapper, took home the award for Music Video for Good. And here's what she had to say. Your vote means everything to me. It means everything to making a change in this country. So remember when you're voting for your favorite artist, vote to change some of these laws that are oppressing us. And she's right, something does have to change. I mean, Lizzo is so oppressed that she's standing there on national TV accepting an award in front of an audience of millions who've given her a net worth of $12 million. She's so oppressed and held down in this country, isn't she? More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible Malachi was the last recorded prophet of God until John the Baptist 400 years later. Malachi addressed the corrupt priesthood, half-hearted worship, divorce, injustice, and neglected tithes. He also foretold the coming of John the Baptist, Jesus the Messiah, and the great day of the Lord when God judges the wicked and rewards the righteous. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. It was not your fault. This is Wretched Radio. Statistically, the numbers are shocking. Young people in particular who get abused physically, emotionally, spiritually, and sexually. And recently, I have been reading a consistent observation about those poor souls who have been so deeply wounded. They feel like they are to blame. They have somehow begun to believe that they are the reason that this terrible thing happened to them. If they hadn't this, if they had, if they had only spoken up, if they had called the police... And they blame themselves for the abuse. And that is something that I think, based on the amount of reading I've been doing on the subject, is a, is a regular constant. Perhaps not everybody, but regularly. Maybe, just maybe, a part of that is just our human DNA, where something bad happens. Well, I'm going to take responsibility for this. But when it comes to somebody harming you, then you don't need to take responsibility for it. Uh, you need to take responsibility for your sins. Okay? If you committed a sin, you 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 did something. You you said something and it was a sin, then you take responsibility for that, but don't take responsibility for somebody else's sin. Furthermore, despite what our culture would teach us that a 2-year-old can get their body mutilated because they think they're a different gender. <laughs> <laughs> at the age of, I'm not kidding, by the way, at the age of two, I was just reading an article. Um, hold on. I got this for you. Um, none of these procedures are medically necessary. They must be enabled and encouraged by predatory medical professionals. And worst of all, by parents, 
This is an article from the American Spectator identifying why we are seeing this massive trend of people thinking they need to be a different gender than what they actually are. This article says the pathology called Munchausen syndrome by proxy, form of child abuse, basically, where a parent makes his or her child ill to gain attention by medical professionals. So it's not making me sick just to get attention or pretending I'm sick by proxy. I'm doing it through my kid. Delightful. According to Medline, quote, the character of a child, most often a mother, either makes up fake symptoms the caretaker, rather, not the character. The caretaker of a child, most often a mother, either makes up fake symptoms of the medical field, but she will likely seek the approval of her social media fans, too. Yep, you do see that a lot. And one story that gets cited in here, we go with our two-year-old. This was a 10-year-old boy. who He's currently 10 years old, who is transitioning to live as a girl. Signed on as a transgender model. Model? And his biological mother has publicly committed to having him physically transitioned at the age of 16. That means he's going to be chemically altered before being physically mutilated. Not to mention the body carving. Here's the report. According to the parents of this boy, the child began expressing gender dysphoria around age two. Age two. Well, who can argue with a two-year-old over things this urgent and important and so affecting for life? Referring to the boy using feminine pronouns, the mother stated, quote, she would refuse to wear boy clothes and have tantrums because she was so young. It's interesting that she wouldn't wear boy clothes because at two years old, being the oldest child, I'm not sure what this little boy was desiring, but I remember my two-year-olds didn't always want to wear what we laid out for them, but they did it because that's what parents do. Not this mom. She determined, "Mm, my boy is the wrong gender. Quote, she knew what she wanted, but didn't have the words to say it. Actually, they might have the words to say it. They, they, they might be able to express it. That aside, the, the cognitive ability of a two-year-old, we're, we're, we're trusting is accurate. By the way, at 24 months of age, your two-year-old should meet the following speech milestones. One, be able to say sentences with at least two to four words. Use and understand at least 50 words. Follow simple instructions. Initiate conversation. Show excitement when interacting with other children and look for familiar objects around a room or call out loud and name specific objects. That's the level we're talking about. There are some kids that are still in diapers at the age of two. I don't think they should be, but you raise your kids the way that you want. A two-year-old. And mom goes, yes. The biological mother, incidentally, is a social justice advocate who identifies as non-binary, appears to be on hormone replacement therapy, and recently had a cosmetic mastectomy. Both she and her current partner are she's. And we are letting these people push our kids through a system that is quite expensive, shall we say, because at the age of two, they didn't want to put on 
their little baseball jersey. That's what we are doing to kids. Munchausen by proxy. But that is not the subject du jour. However, maybe in, maybe in fact it is that you grew up in a household where your parents abused you in similar manner, whatever it was. Now, I, I, I think pushing your child through this to do this, providing the resources and the health insurance, calling the doctors, making the appointments, taking them to surgeries, uh, if that ain't child abuse, I don't know what is. The point being, if you were a child who was abused, um, and just maybe you're reliving it and you're going, yeah, but I did say some stuff that opened the door. Yep, you're a kid. We make that distinction. The world doesn't. They, they, they think a two-year-old can transition. We would say anybody who does something inappropriate to a two-year-old is doing something wicked because that two-year-old or 12-year-old or even, you, you pick, it's, it's a bit arbitrary, but teenager who was taken advantage of by somebody older who can manipulate and control, um, it's, it's not your fault. You were abused as a child. Don't take this upon yourself. This is from David Paulison, biblical counselor, an open letter to survivors of abuse. What happened to you is not your fault. You are not to blame. You did not deserve it. You did not ask for this. You should not be silenced. You are not worthless. You did not have to pretend like nothing happened. Nobody had the right to violate you. You are not responsible for what happened to you. You are not damaged goods. You were supposed to be treated with dignity and respect. You were the victim of assault and it was wrong. You were sinned against. Despite all the pain, healing can happen and there is hope. And maybe just maybe it starts with you recognizing, okay, it was wicked. I need to figure it out. I need to deal with it biblically. I need to understand why things like this happen so that I don't get angry at God. And then start to heal and grow so that you aren't hidden with your thoughts and your memories in a closet or feeling like you're a back row Christian because something really bad happened to me. From Adriel, sorry, Sanchez. How do I help a child who's experienced trauma? Quote from the article, how a community response to individual trauma sets the foundation for the impact of the traumatic event, experience, and effect. In other words, how we help young people who have been traumatized in whatever form it took, it's really important, but I think we all know that. Provide children with safety and reassure them they are currently safe. Give them examples of what you have done to help protect them at home or school. Might include walking them to their classroom every day, remaining within earshot whenever you're at home, watching them play outside so they're not alone, waiting for them at the entrance of the school or the bus stop to pick them up. Help your kid feel safe. Help children feel connected and loved. Tell and show them you love them and you'll try your best to take care of them. So hug them. Spend time together. Kiss them on the head. Tell them that they are loved. Reassure children it is normal to have a lot of different or strong feelings after a traumatic event. Third, let children know that what happened was not their fault. Number four, pray with children. 
Five, when children are upset or exhibiting strong emotions, try to respond calmly, not in anger. Return to usual routines when possible and still helpful. Mealtime, school, weekend activities, sports, whatever it is. Try to try to return to normal and maybe feelings will start to follow. Encourage children about their security in Christ. You're forgiven of everything. That person who sinned against you, it was not your fault, and they will have to deal with God on that issue. Engage the feeling of anger. And finally, offer hope. Let them know there is a path to healing. Our Savior was abused worse than anybody ever, and he will heal you. This is Wretched Radio. 200. That's right. 200 Tomorrow Clubs are now up and running again in Ukraine. That means kids are hearing the gospel. They're getting saved. Their parents are getting saved. The church is getting strengthened. Not only are the Tomorrow Clubs busy preaching the gospel, they're also very busy helping people. This is our buddy Max in Ukraine. We have created the Ukraine Support Fund. Thanks to our partners, Tomorrow Clubs began immediate assistance to the network of the local churches that became a safe place for thousands of refugees fleeing their devastated homes. Providing food, providing clothing, potable water, a safe place, communication. Would you please consider becoming a ministry partner of the amazing ministry called Tomorrow Clubs? You can learn how you could participate in the spreading of the gospel in Eastern Europe at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Why do we believe so much in biblical counseling? And it's comments like these. I just haven't thought of it that way. Pretty intense, huh? Those are comments from real people receiving real biblical counseling for real issues in season one of Transformed. Released this year, Transformed is like nothing else you'll see on Christian TV. You're a fly on the wall witnessing real biblical counseling sessions. With Dr. Greg Gifford, professor of biblical counseling at the Masters University, he's our host and biblical counselor conducting these sessions, which deal with issues like anxiety, OCD, anger, trauma, depression, and much more. And Dr. Dale Johnson, the executive director of ACBC, is our other host. Dr. Johnson chalk talks the sessions to provide a deeper understanding of biblical counseling. Transformed is truly a one-of-a-kind production, providing you with an up-close look at the hope and relief only the Bible can provide. Transformed, from brokenness to wholeness. And it's available now at transformed.org. The war for life is not over. The war for life has just begun. Dan Steiner from preborn.org slash wretched. Our partner clinic in um, Buffalo, New York, is firebombed. A clinic in Longmont, Colorado also was burned. And so this is the essence of who we are as Christians. We war not against flesh and blood. The implication is that we are, in fact, at war, and we are. The war for life rages on state by state, city by city, block by block, woman by woman. Would you please consider supporting preborn.org slash wretched, providing free ultrasounds, providing counseling, providing parental training, providing Similac, providing clothes, providing diapers, and offering them the good news of the gospel. We are at war for life. Please consider supporting preborn.org slash wretched. 
lexicon. Providence is the word we use to describe God's preserving, upholding, and governing of His creation. God sustains His creation day to day through ordinary means established at the beginning of time, and He intervenes in miraculous ways. In all things, God is working for His glory and for the good of those who love Him. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Please be patient with me. I am not good at this. This is Wretched Radio. Jimmy, maybe you can help me. Perhaps you're better at using coarse, vulgar, and filthy language uh, because I want to start using that here on Wretched Radio. Oh, really? Well, I want to be all things to all people (laughs) is what I want to do. And here's what I was reminded of. Did I mention I went to the FedEx Cup? That's right. In Atlanta, there is a lovely golf course, by the way. You can't help it when you're there. It's like, so what would I have to do to golf at this place? No Alistair Begg or something? So I go Googling it. It was, I think it was $125,000 initiation fee. Wow. I think. And then you were also encouraged. They've got a foundation to help improve the area that is around this lovely country club. $250,000 contribution. So probably not going to be teeing off anytime soon. But as I'm walking around the course, now please keep in mind, this would be a rather gentrified slice of society. Golf still is a gentleman's game and gentlewoman's too. It is a game where there is courtesy. You take off your hat, shake hands when the round is done. Somebody has honors. You are expected to act with integrity and not cheat. So it is still a game that probably attracts a a level of society that you would think is, is probably, at least culturally, socially, potentially even morally, maybe a little bit better than others. Maybe. Jimmy, you don't agree with that? Yeah. I, I, okay, I've got to, okay, we're going to do something here. There's got to be some sort of study on this. The type of, like, the people who play golf tend to be more like this. I'll bet there's studies of it. I'll, I'll bet it's, I'll bet it's more white collar. And I don't say that like white collar is better. I'm just saying it's probably more white collar than blue collar. But there was a constant that I noticed on Saturday. Hoofda, people use a lot of pe- filthy words is what they use, and they make no sense whatsoever. They, there's one that's actually stuck in my head, which is a little bit annoying. I'm just standing there watching. I think I was like on the fourth hole and then watching the eighth hole. Man, pretty much could have reached out and touched those guys. I'm telling you, they were close. You're, you are very close at the FedEx Cup to the players. And wow, do they play. I'm telling you, John Rahm, he lashed the ball so violently. It was like, dude, work through the anger. Because wow, did he clobber a driver. At any rate, I noticed, even with this crowd of people, that Jimmy doesn't think is any different than anybody else in society. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> you just didn't agree with my analysis. Was John Daly there? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. I thought that's where you heard the filthy language. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. It was, and and I would look at them, and it, it's not just kids. They aren't punks. Everybody's dressed kind of golfy. Uh, it's adults. 
using a vocabulary that is just not the way a Christian should speak. If you know somebody who wrestles with this subject, it is one that you can go after if they're a believer. Now, you can also go after them if they are are speaking coarsely and you don't want it. If they're blaspheming, you certainly can speak up. That's that's an appropriate response, even in our current cancel culture. But these are these are people who are speaking in grotesque ways that Ah, the Christian shouldn't. And if you know somebody who is, take them to Acts 4.28 through about 5.4. No coarse jesting, no crude language, no double entendres. We're a different people. We're set apart. So please, if you're a Christian and you're a golfer and you've got a potty mouth, it's time to clean up your talk. Because I heard a lot of it. So I was just thinking, Jimmy, in order to be all things to all people. We should start doing that. I should start doing that. Wouldn't that make sense? Well, it would, actually, if you follow the seeker-sensitive model of mangling the Bible in order to justify becoming a silly center. Where you have the rock and roll show, the fog machine, super groovy pastor, you do trivia games in the lobby when people are coming in like they're on a game show. You got to get them hyped up, baby. Unbelievable what is going on in so many churches. And they will use 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 22. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And so this, this verse is used to say we need to contextualize Christianity. We need the culture to get it. Well, then why don't we swear from the pulpit? Wait, I take that back. A lot of guys do. Hey, pastor, I know there are some words that are with some demographics considered kosher. Uh, not every demographic agrees. If, if you've adopted any sort of mm, adult, okay, I think I can do this. When it when it's uh, eschatological, that's the word that I was groping for right there. Any sort of eschatological language. Wow, that wasn't easy. Lose it. Lose it. We find it coarse. We, we find it unbefitting of Christians. Now, maybe every generation doesn't see that word and that word and that word. Or the euphemism for the F-bomb as being a swear word. But a lot of us do. Because we know what it is that you're doing. Please don't talk like that. But 1 Corinthians 9.22, if we didn't understand the context of it, would allow us to do just that. This is from Reformation Scotland. Well, that's kind of encouraging, isn't it? Citing a Scottish pastor, James Durham, lived 1622 through 58. Wow, died a young man. Whew. That was hard living back then. Was a minister in Glasgow for 11 years. He wrote about this verse, which tells us, um, Paul wasn't telling us that you can become a dipsy doodle in order to attract people. That you can water down the sermon, stop preaching expositionally. Paul, first of all, with this verse, is speaking about his personal conduct. This is how I'm going to behave. It has nothing to do with how to order a church service. That's how this verse typically gets mangled. Hey, all th- Paul became all things to all people, man, so pass my skinny jeans, or whatever. Then dr- 
and drop language that shows you're cool. Make references to Game of Thrones. Well, I, I, I probably wouldn't watch it myself, but, you know, just to stay up with the culture, stop it. Paul was not saying this is the license verse to do whatever you want to in church. He's talking about his own personal conduct. Number two, Paul is speaking about things that are indifferent. Remember the context, context, context. This is a great demonstration. 1 Corinthians 9. Now, I am quite, okay, I'm most, I'm pretty certain that what I'm going to say is right because I, I studied this really hard. 1 Corinthians 9 is in between 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians 10. What is the context of those three chapters? It's liberty, zodiophora, eating meat sacrificed to idols. And so he's talking about things that they, they aren't sinful things. Oh, we can adopt worldly things so that people will come to church. No. He was saying, if I'm in this context and they eat this, I'm going to eat that. If I'm in another context and they don't, then I don't. Because they are indifferent things. Being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ is the context All things to all men does not mean engaging in anything that would be contrary to what God has required or forbidden. So it's it's not about bringing church up to speed so that people will dig Jesus. No, it's about indifferent things. Paul accommodates himself to all men in all things that are in in all things that are indifferent. Number three. Paul is actually speaking about edification. When you compare what he says in the next chapter and then returning to the subject in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, offense, he's talking about eating and drinking and encouraging other believers. Offense in Scripture means being a stumbling stone to someone else and harming their spiritual edification. Paul said, I'm not going to do that. So I'll give it up. It's indifferent anyway. I want my personal character to speak well of the gospel. Does that have anything to do with church service? Does that have anything to do with preaching? Nothing. How do I know? The answer is context. Context. It is important to understand the contrast with the modern idea of offense as hurt feelings or being exposed to an opinion with which you disagree. Now, this is causing somebody to trip. Whether they profess religion or not, we should deny ourselves the liberty of being free to eat anything if we are going to cause someone else to stumble by eating something. And Paul sets himself up as our example that we are to follow. And so in conclusion, the next time you hear somebody using 1 Corinthians 9.22 to justify dopiness, teach them one word three times. Context, context, context. And until tomorrow... Go serve your king.